when you have that vision and that desire, then the hard times, they'll be difficult to get through, but you'll pick yourself up and you'll keep going. And that's what I've done in both dance and, and now real estate. I just, I have a clear vision of where I want to go and I have the right people around me that support me. You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it. What up, Gangstars? It's your girl, Devana, and I have an amazing Gangstar creative this week. Her name is Patricia Kenyowski, and she is a active real estate investor who redevelops high-end homes in the Los Angeles area. She's a co-owner of Legacy Home Investments, and she basically is responsible for marketing, financing, the acquisitions, project management, and design. Some gangstar accomplishments include profiting over 500k on a single flip, being featured on HGTV's Flipping 101, and she's currently filming season two, and in eight short years, she's rehabbed over 40 homes and has purchased and sold over $77 million worth of real estate. And to top it off, she's not only creative in the real estate world, but for over 20 years, Patricia has traveled the world competing in ballroom dance competitions and has ranked in the top seven in the world as a rising star professional. So I'm super excited to have her on the show and share her journey with you guys. She's a badass, a true gangstar creative, and let's just go ahead and dive on in. All right, gang stars, I have an amazing guest this week. Uh, Patricia is on the other end of the mic, girl. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'm so excited to share your story and have you share all your gold nuggets with the Gangstar Creative listeners. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to uh, to chat with you guys and, and see uh, for, for you guys to hear my story. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And everyone listening, I I met Patricia, I don't know, was it like 2017? I think we met at an event, we were in the same mastermind together. um, And she's just a complete like badass creative. Um, She's a real estate investor, as you probably heard in the intro uh, before you listen to um, the, the interview, but she's a badass real estate investor. She flips home. She's Uh, a dancer. She's all the things. So I'm really excited to bring her on because she's a kind of a good change of direction as far as industries of people that I've had on on the show. So Patricia, if you could just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Who is Patricia? Where did you start? And where are you today? Sure. So I uh, was originally, um, I'm from Australia. Um, I think my accent's a bit watered down by now, but um, I'm originally born and raised in Australia. Um, At 17 years old, I moved away to dance. So I was a professional ballroom dancer. I started at 
11 years old. And then that's all I ever wanted to do was dance and compete. So throughout my teens, I spent a lot of time uh, competing internationally, mainly, you know, in Europe. And I represented Australia at world championships. And really for 20 years of my life, that, that was, that was all I did is, is live, breathe, dance. Um, and so at 17 years old, I got asked to join uh, Burn the Floor, which brought me here to the States. Um, but, you know, even though I loved sharing on stage to a live audience, there was always this competitor in me. And so I really missed getting in there and getting back on the competitive floor. So I ended up spending a couple of years in England training. Um, and then I got a dance partner in Houston, actually, in Texas. And from 2004 uh, till now, I have uh, lived in Texas, Boston, and um, moved to LA eight years ago. And, you know, it, as a ballroom dancer, um, the demand, there's a lot of, lot of female ballroom dancers and um, a lot more than there are male dancers. And so once you reach a certain level, you, you need to kind of relocate to where the professional boy partners are that are like U.S. finalists, et cetera. Mm. So I was having to constantly, you know, pack up my life and just move and start over. So you had um, to like chase boys around basically, <laughs> <laughs> professionally. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it's, it's very disappointing when that doesn't work out. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, a marriage, so to say, being in a ballroom dance partnership, you know, you spend a lot of time together training and, and traveling and competing and the stress of it all. And, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out like you intend it to. Um, and so finally, my last dance partnership brought me here to LA. And, you know, I just fell in love with the city here. Um, for one thing, it's very close to, uh, well, close, I say close, it's one 15 hour plane ride to Australia. <laughs> so that makes it a little bit easier uh, see, visiting all my family and having them come here. Uh, but also I just fell in love with the city. There's a, there's a laid back kind of vibe, but also such a hustle. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I find um, that I, I just thrive in this sort of environment. I've always kind of felt like I was a go-getter and it's creative. Um, and you know, I just, I enjoy it. It's, it's very inspiring to me. And so once I got here to LA, I was in my late twenties and, um, I kind of felt, okay, you know, I can't just keep up packing and moving up my life, going to a different city all the time. So what am I going to do? Like, how do I start thinking now moving into my thirties, how I'm going to set myself up for the future. Um, and at the time um, I was, you know, in a, uh, was dating a guy and he was like, you know, come to this real estate seminar with me. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. You know, why not? I, I love to learn. I'm constantly, you know, either reading books or, or learning new things. And so I was like, sure, I'll spend three days, you know, sitting through the <laughs> seminar. Um, and I just found it fascinating. There was so much information, stuff that's just not taught at schools. And, and I yeah. just became really interested in it. But prior to that, I had zero real estate knowledge, like whatsoever, um, and, you know, I, we decided to sign up and, and, and go through the course. Um, and then that's where it began. And, and looking back now, um, 
I've been doing real estate now for eight years and I just still remember that first day and, and not knowing anything. And now looking back, you know, it's, it's been a ride. It's been very, very exciting. And um, I really can say that I've found a passion for it. Um, I'm now no longer dancing. I retired a few years ago mm-hmm. and it's real estate full time for me. Um, and I've been, I've been loving it and I'm looking forward to, uh, to the future. Didn't you, even though you retired, didn't you got, still do like a traveling kind of team for fun? Or was that like you ended that also three years ago? Um, yes, for some time after I retired for competing, uh, I, I still traveled and, and toured the country. And so we performed on live stages in theaters um, and the show was called Ballroom with a Twist and it combined dances from um, Dancing with the Stars, So You Think You Can Dance and singers from American Idol. And we would go around the country, just travel and perform. Um, and you know, slowly the first few years, as I started real estate, I, you know, my first year in real estate, I had flipped and rehabbed one home and I was still kind of dancing and traveling. And then the following year, you know, I did three houses and then the next year did five and, and, and slowly that transition just became very natural. Mm. Um, and most of my time and, and I went full time into running the business and, and no longer traveling. So, um, I now, you know, I love to dance and I love to get into the studio, but it's for such different reasons now. Um, and I actually enjoy it more. So I'll, I'll try to go in once a week just with some friends and choreograph something and it's great exercise. And, and I find that I enjoy the creative outlet still. Um, but now it's just because I love, I love it. And it's like going back to feeding my soul as opposed to having to make a living out of it. And I think at the beginning, when I started dancing, that was, it was, I just had such a passion for it and it didn't feel like hard work at all. I would get in the studio and I would, I would spend my whole day there if I could six days a week. Um, And then, you know, as you get older and more serious and you compete and then it's all about ranking and there's a lot more pressure that goes in and slowly it became, you know, like an athlete. Um, and that kind of overtook a little bit of the passion I find, cause then you had to really like worry, okay, when's your next gig? How are you going to afford mm-hmm. to pay rent? And, you know, it's, it's tough. It's a tough life as an artist. And, um, I find that now not having to worry about that because I have a, a source of income through real estate. Now I can get back to just actually expression and, and my passion for it. Yeah. Just dancing for fun. Yeah. I mean, I want to, um, cause you kind of have like two chapters of your life, right? You have like your dance and then you have this real estate. So I want to stay in like the, the dance side, just for a second, for any of the listeners that may be in the dance world or dance industry. I mean, like everyone listening, Patricia isn't, wasn't just like a regular ballroom dancer. Like she was ranked top seven dance, like top seven in the world, which is freaking awesome. And I believe she has some videos floating around on YouTube. If you just look her up, you can watch her gracefully dance, you know, across the floor. She's such a badass. Um, So for those like listening, that's kind of in that world or interested in that world, I'm curious to know, like, what is the business of that so because you have experience both as a competitive dancer but then also as someone who like took it and ran with like a group of people and like 
got gigs um, performing at different events and uh, theaters and things like that and kind of had your own tour. So can you like share a little bit about like, you know, the difference between the two and like how the money side and the business side of the dance world works? Sure, sure. And and it's funny that you mentioned that because I do see a lot of similarities, even though my career paths have been polar opposite, right? From a creative just dancer to a real estate investor. I see so many similarities. And here is one mm-hmm. I would say. So as a dancer, I was very, very strategic. Um, and so just like an athlete has a coach, a trainer, your partnership, like everything was planned out for a entire year in advance. I knew what dance competitions we would go to, what the judges were at that competition. I mean, even competing at the world championships, I had a floor plan of the stage and I would know what side I'm walking in from. I would walk off the opposite side. My coaches, obviously, you know, as a ballroom dance competitor, you may have 20 couples on the floor at one time. And so with, and and the music only plays for two minutes. So the, the judges sometimes only have a few seconds to decide when they're looking at you, whether you're going to make it to the next round or not. So you need to make sure that, you know, your, your routine is rotating so that all the judges can see the number, you know, to recall you and your grooming needs to be like immaculate. And so there's a lot of preparation that needs to take place prior to, and I found that my best competitions were the ones that I felt like the most prepared so that the day of, I can let all that go and just go back to dancing because I had done all the work in the studio, the weeks, the months training prior to. Mm. And so when you're finally there, that's when you can just shine and let it go because you've done the work. So, um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, as a, as a team, you got to choose your team, decide, okay, who are your coaches? What competitions do you want to go to? You know, is it going to be an equal side, East Coast, West Coast? And another thing is, is that don't let those results um, deter you from your ultimate goal. I mean, I've had so many ups and downs, you know, I mean, more, most recently, I remember at a dance competition, um, I was in the top 22 of the world in the professional, in the open professional. I had just performed at the Royal Albert Hall in England. Mm. And then a month later, came back to Ohio, which was a big, big competition, the Ohio Star Ball here in, in North America. And I made the 24 round. And so I was like, wow, I should have been like (laughs) top three based on world results. Do you know what I mean? But yet here and it's, it's extremely sometimes, you know, it's, it can be political and you just got to, you know, brush yourself off and get back up and you've got a bigger mission to go for a bigger goal. And so it's important not to get stuck in, you know, kind of this, this story and this dialogue, like, oh, well, why? And this, and you know, you just pick yourself back up and and move on with it. So I've always kind of had that um, mentality and that drive. So I find the same thing has happened on the real estate side as well, multiple Mm. times. Did you like either or more than the other? Like, did you like competitive dancing more than you did like taking control and having like a 
your group of friends like performing um, or did you kind of like them both equally? Um, I 100% prefer, preferred uh, competing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I was just, you know, I'm a very competitive person. And I always tell myself, I feel like I have some sort of natural talent. You know, I, I feel like I was blessed with that. But I also, um, you know, I, I work very hard. And so for me uh, to keep kind of beating myself. It wasn't only about the other couples, but it's like, how can I improve? How can I work harder and, and execute and get better? And, right. um, you know, and a result is a good indication of that. You know, if one year I'm making a semifinal, then the next year I'm going to fight to be a finalist. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like, okay, how much work did you put in during that year? Um, and I feel like that's really underrated these days. Um, you know, it's just pure hard work. And I've been very fortunate enough now in both careers to have found something that I am so passionate about that I don't mind. Like I actually love to put in the work and, and it doesn't feel like work. You know. Oh, that's amazing. It's always good when you can find something where you love the process because people get so excited about the end result, you know, especially with social media and all of that, where they just see the finished product or what the people want you to see, or just like the good stuff and the success stuff. But it takes a long journey. It's like a big roller coaster ride of ups and downs, like that oh those people gosh. like go through. And I'm, you know, you have your stories, I have my stories. And it's yes. like, once you, um, for people that are like just starting out because they saw like the shininess of, you know, owning your own business, um, it kind of like smacks you in the face. Cause you're like, Oh shit, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. And then people like, you know, don't make it because the process was too hard. So I think it's really cool that you found something or you found several things where you enjoyed the process, even yeah. no matter how hard it got. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I think you nailed it there. It's, uh, it's, I find in whatever you do, there are going to be ups and downs and, um, you know, I, I think for the listeners though, it's okay not to know what that is yet. You know, sometimes through trial and error, like, and I, and I think of this with real estate to be like in a million years, years, I never would have thought that, okay, uh, I want to be a real estate investor. I knew maybe I wanted to be like a landlord down the line or something like that, but not like an active full-time, have my own real estate business. Mm -hmm. um, and by, I think you find things within that, that you absolutely love. And the things that you don't, um, you then work hard to outsource or to build a team of someone that's perhaps good at that or they thrive at that or you know what I mean mm -hmm. um, and I think that's just part of scaling and expanding and growth so um I I there's not you know I, I look at aspects of like um my real estate business and I'm like you know I don't really care to do accounting and marketing even it's it's just not something that I love about it right but right. there are things that I absolutely love in this business. And so I work to outsource the others, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's like the whole part of being a business owner is that you have to be able to delegate and let go so that you can actually thrive in the areas that you're good at. Um, right. 
I wanted to ask kind of one more question in regards to the dance world. Cause I know, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I always hear like stories, you know, of like people who want to become dancers and, you know, they'll have people in the ear telling them like, you know, that's not like a real job or there's no money in that, but you being someone who's been, you know, the star of it and have experienced all different sides of that world. What would you say to somebody who's kind of struggling with those limiting beliefs or those people that have been saying things like that in their ear? Is there money in dance? Does it just depend on your skill level or is there like different ways that you can take control and create opportunities for yourself? Wow, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, and, I, and what comes to mind is I, I was literally at uh, 17 years old bribed uh, by my dad to be like, if you quit and go to school, I'll buy you a BMW, you know, <laughs> so, I've certainly, uh, felt that pressure. And to be honest, it was, um, it was a difficult, difficult journey, uh, being a dancer and there is money. I feel ultimately in it, but the reason people do it, I think goes so far beyond that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because for me, when I look back into like eating ramen noodles and macaroni with so like pasta <laughs> sauce and barely having to pay my rent and, and in England, you know, having to catch the train all the time, it wasn't uh, a glorious life at all. And um, specifically ballroom dancing, you know, the dresses and the costumes and the competitions and the, the coaching, it's a very expensive sport. And so basically I was teaching dance or, or sometimes had a second job and it all went back into reinvesting in my training and my dance and my competitions. Mm. And uh, I did that for like 15 years. You know, I was barely getting by um, and I just had such a fire burning within that I, I was just so driven and I, I just had a goal and, and that's that nothing would deter me from that. Uh, and, you know, I had an opportunity to join Dancing with the Stars. I was first asked in 2007. Oh, wow. And that was when it was first beginning. And I turned it down because I was on my way to my, my goal was to become a world finalist. And even though it's kind of like you're saying the shiny object syndrome where it's like, Oh, okay, now you can be famous. And I dance. It, it was, that wasn't what I wanted from dance. I wanted to be a better artist and, and to be a competitor ultimately and, and to express mm. myself through that rather than for entertainment, so to speak. And so looking back now, I kind of like kick myself <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that brought a lot of uh, fame and success to the people that joined early on. Yeah. Um, and financially, like if you do get a TV show like that, I think the exposure, you can, you get a lot more opportunity and, and perhaps some um, affiliate programs, you know, ads and appearances. And there's all this extra stuff that came along with it. Um, and so that was the choice. So there is, yes, there is. If you are a su successful dancer and you're amazing and you make certain decisions to get there, then I feel like absolutely there is a, there is a market that you can be successful and choreograph and you, you know, whatever you want. 
um, that my journey was a little bit different. I was just uh, really, really zoned in and focused on being a competitor. And with that, you know, at a dance competition for a professional field, you may win one to $2,000. That's Mm. it. And with your dance partner, you have to split that. So that (laughs) barely covers your airfare and (laughs) accommodation to the competition. So you're really taking a loss and, um, you know, you do it definitely. I understand now you do it for the love and the passion, um, that that was my experience when it came to ballroom. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, you made that transition, you know, into real estate and you had shared, you know, like the first year you only did one home. So I'm curious to know, like, how were you able to balance both real estate and dancing at that time that you were still transitioning? Um, I was able to handle it because at that time, I was already in between dance partners, um, so I wasn't training every day. But what I was doing is traveling the country performing. And what that looks like is sometimes I'd be gone for a month and then I'd come back for two weeks. Or other times it was vice versa. Maybe I just went for four days to perform somewhere and then I was back for two weeks and I'd go for a week and then I'd be back. So while I was back in town, um, because I didn't have any other gigs or anything like that, I really full-time just did real estate. So at, when I was even learning before I even purchased my first property, I would use that time to study 12, 14 hours a day and implement what I was learning. Um, mm. And I would actively go to open houses and meet agents and start building my team. Um, you know, we I really started from just the bottom of it. And I think what continued like, and and this is what I think is really important. Sometimes when we sit back and we look at how far we have yet to go, it gets overwhelming. And by that, when, when you get overwhelmed, I feel like, you know, I myself get paralysis of overanalysis. Oh my gosh, I got so much to do. You don't know where to get started. And by learning a process of kind of like breaking it down and just like chipping away at it, you'll find that all of a sudden you're looking back and you're like, wow, like this is how far I've come. And I, and, and, you know, sometimes it's like, we're always, I think as entrepreneurs are just always so driven to just like keep going and wanting more and and take it to the next level that Mm -hmm. sometimes I just have to stop and remind myself to celebrate like how far I've come, even though I just want to, you know, you're ready for the next big thing. Um, And I was like that as a competition, as, as a competitor as well. It's like, okay, wow, I've made it for the 22 top in the world. Yeah, I'm happy. But tomorrow I'm back in the dance studio because I'm ready to make that semifinal next year. And I think it's like now as I've gotten a little bit older, it's to appreciate those, how far you've come a little bit more and to kind of, um, to celebrate that. You know, I I don't think that I personally need to remind myself to do that a little bit more um, and appreciate that. It's like, yeah, I know we all have big goals and we want to, you know, dream big and move, keep moving forward, but to really be like proud of yourself and be like, okay, well, like I've gotten you know, this far. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, even for 
for me in my business with Kevin and then even me and being an artist, like, and I, I'm sure a lot of the people listening feel that too, is like you, like you just want more and more and more and you feel so like defeated a lot of, at a lot of times. And then, you know, got, you got social media and you see everybody else, you know, reaching their goals and they have similar goals and you're like, Oh, I want that. And then you're just like, but you, I always feel like I have to stop and reflect on like, how I got to where I am today, what I have accomplished, like really sit with that and like celebrate those wins. And when you do like have a win, no matter how big or small, you should take a moment to celebrate, whether it's like just going out and grabbing a drink and like really reflecting on that moment or, you know, taking a, you know, a few hours off or a day off just to like, you know, set like actually do something to remind yourself and reflect on that win because before you know it like time's gonna go by and you're gonna be like kind of like this burnout because you feel like you're just constantly always trying to achieve and you feel like you haven't achieved because you haven't even dedicated the time to like stop and pause and really like soak in those moments Hey Gangstar, sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this episode so far, stop what you're doing right now and share this podcast with your friends on social media or text it to a friend in your contacts. If you're a true Gangstar and want to uplift and empower other creatives like I know you do, you're going to want to take a few seconds to do this now. Go ahead and pick your phone back up or click that browser tab that you're playing this episode in, hit that pause button and share it now. Hello, what are you waiting for? All right. Thank you for doing that. Now let's get back to the show. And I, and I love that you said that because I remember, um, I follow, uh, obviously you and Kevin now for a few years. And that's one thing I always look at you guys and I admire when it's like, okay, we're taking the afternoon off. I've worked, you know, so I've been working <laughs> so hard that he's taking wifey to LA for the weekend or a nice dinner. Or you got, you guys are on a boat and it's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's why we do this, you know? And, and I, yeah. I, I love it. It's a great reminder when I see you guys doing it. So it's like, Oh, that's right. You know, you work hard, but you also <laughs> need to then spend time and enjoy it. <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Like we're, I mean, we're really big on that. Cause I, I, we get burnout so easily and it's just like, you got to remind yourself why you even started the the business, you know, and like you, you want to make sure that the business is working for you and not the other way around. Um, and so what's the fun in it if you can't enjoy, you know, the fruits of your labor and mm-hmm. actually like enjoy life um, and create some sort of freedom that you want? Because I mean, in the beginning, we like sacrifice. There's always going to be sacrifice, of right. course. Like in the beginning, you have to really hustle, sacrifice sleep and time and friends and family and all of the things, even your relationship. And, you know, we know what that's like. And it's like, we don't have to do that. And even if things are really bad and are really low, like it's still important just for like mental health to live a little and have fun and enjoy life. Because at the end of the day, that's really what's important is like your mental health and your happiness. Um, and then everything else comes into play because if you don't have those, you know, it's like those stories of, you know, the rich and famous and wealthy, like they could have all the wealth in the world, but if they're not like right in the mind and in the heart, you know, and in the soul, like 100 not worth it. I totally agree. And I find that being a creative, um, and having that, you know, I, I found that I transitioned a lot of my creativity from dance to real estate, but just generally speaking, I find that getting out 
and getting out like whatever, you know, inspires you, whether it's like being out with friends or being on the water or, you know, going on a hike or just getting away for a weekend, whatever it is for you. I find that I come back so much more refreshed and refocused and by getting out there a lot more inspired. And so naturally I find that I'm more creative that way um, as opposed to just kind of grinding day in and day out and just kind of going through um, a routine of like business, business, work, work. It's very hard for me to then turn my mind off and get creative if I'm under pressure of got, you know, uh, a time restraint. For example, you know, right now this week, I'm actually uh, choosing tile for five bathrooms. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, I need to be in that creative space and flow to visualize, you know, to see it all come together, Mm -hmm. Um, which means I now need to already start getting an idea of like, the feel of the place and the fixtures and what my faucets, like I need to be in that space. And if I'm trying to cram that in, in like, okay, two hours, I need to go. I feel like I, it just doesn't come to me. It's just not natural. I'm forcing it. And, and then it takes the joy out of it uh, for me personally. So Mm. I love um, getting out there, celebrating, kind of getting away from things and then coming back and, and refocusing. Yeah, absolutely. For everybody that's listening right now, obviously they now know that you were an amazing dancer and you're in real estate and they heard your intro that I did before um, we started talking, but can you share like, what is it that you actually do in real estate? Cause there's so many facets to real estate. Um, but can you share to the listener in a way that they could follow a process to understand like, what is it that you do in real estate? Sure. Um, so I am in active real estate. So what I do is residential redeveloping. Um, And so what that means is I will purchase a home. I will completely remodel it. And then I will relist it for sale. Um, So I basically drive um, appreciation of the home by um, remodeling it and redoing it completely. And so, you know, when I first started this business in 2013, I felt that my niche was going to be distressed homes in the, you know, mid price point, which in LA could be between, you know, five and 700,000. That's kind of like Mm -hmm. the the median price point. Um, And then that was kind of like my first property. And then I started to, um, my second house was an 800 thousand dollar purchase and I resold it for just under 1.2 mil and then so I kind of found my niche now is just a home in LA I'm very specific in the area um I live in the valley of LA which is uh in Sherman Oaks and so my little pocket that I like to um flip houses is between Woodland Hills and Studio City primarily south of the boulevard and so it's um, I will take a house that's perhaps just a little bit dated and I will fully gut it down to the studs. I'll redesign the floor plan, the layout, um, and just pretty much I'm delivering a brand new house. I'll do full um, replumb, new roof, new HVAC system. Uh, so I completely new windows. I mean, it it looks just like I'm keeping the exterior walls up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it's not just like a minor rehab where I just do maybe a kitchen, a bathroom and some paint. Um, I go pretty much 
I, I'm a step under um, developing and developing as you um, is when you completely bulldoze the house and you just build from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, my business model is a little bit different to whereas I will keep kind of like the exterior walls um, and just kind of work within the footprint, uh, but completely redo it. So um, that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. So um, I am now onto my 40th home. Um, yes, thank you. Um, and it still amazes me. It's like, wow, when I'm buying my first one, it was like, I had no idea. Like, I had no idea how to buy a house. Like, I didn't know what escrow was. I didn't know the terminology. I didn't know nothing about construction. Um, and so now it's, it's you know, the more you do something, um, you just gain experience and your network grows and you know you just kind of like find your way and um yeah I I absolutely love it and um I I recommend everybody get into real estate (laughs) yeah I mean everybody that's listening if you're not already definitely follow her because the home she rehabs are like they turn out so beautiful and it's cool because she really shares the process and the behind the scenes and she'll ask for feedback like should I do this style or this style or this tile or this tile like I love when you um have all that (laughs) stuff in your stories like the behind the scenes it's so cool to kind of see like the the vision of the designs that you're thinking about um for those probably wondering you know as you share that they're like okay that's cool well how do you actually get the money to buy the homes and then how do you find the homes um I raise uh, you know it depends at the beginning I started this business with um absolutely zero money to my name I mean I was I was dancing I was I was surviving living paycheck to paycheck um and so through the educational program that I signed up for, they teach you how to raise money. Um, and so you're using both private money lenders and hard money lenders. So it's just a process that's learned. Um, and you start by, you know, um, approaching these uh, institutions that do this specifically for short-term rehabs. And by short-term, it's, you know, six months to a year from, um from purchase to sale. Um, And so basically, you know, they include the construction of it. Um, And granted, you know, that's kind of one area of it, but they do obviously check because it's all asset-based lending. So Mm -hmm. they need to make sure that as the lender, there's enough equity in the home of what you're purchasing it for, how much money you're putting into it and what you can resell it for. So basically, you know, as the investor, you're the last one on the on the, on the totem pole to get paid. So you want to make sure that when you're buying that house, that there is enough numbers in there and meat of the bone so that once your bank gets paid, all the construction, all the contractors, you know, down to your agent commissions, taxes, and all that stuff, that there's enough spread for you at the end of the day to make it worth your while. Mm, gotcha. And how do you go about finding the actual um, homes that you want to rehab? So majority of the homes in my area, I have built up um, relationships with real estate agents. And so that has been actually uh, a blessing for me. Um, The more transactions I kind of did, you you find that some agents you just gel with better and, and they're better at presenting opportunities to you that make sense. Um, and that they understand the process. 
um, and that they understand that this is a, a long-term uh, game plan and a long-term relationship. So the difference is, you know, you don't want an agent and by you not having the right knowledge to kind of push a property saying, okay, yeah, this is a good investment when perhaps at the end of the day, as soon as you purchase that property, that agent walks away with commission and therefore they don't really care if you make money or lose money, they got paid at the end of the day. Hmm. And so you need to really, um, you know, I would recommend finding a mentor, really know your numbers and study yourself so that, that you're ultimately making the right decision for you. And so throughout the years, I have found a, a handful of agents. I have five currently that we're actively working with um, and they will either door knock, you know, prior to the pandemic, clearly, you know, it's changed a little <laughs> bit. They can't go door knocking as much, but they will, they have their own marketing um strategies that generate leads. Um, and then, you know, these five agents, they will present um, their deals to me first, their opportunities to me first. Um, and, you know, so that's where 90% of my business comes from. Um, some of them are listed on the MLS. And then it's a matter of like negotiation strategies. Um, I know that last year, the market was so hot the last couple of years here in LA. Uh, there were, you know, 16 offers on a house that I would write an offer on. Mm. And um, at a few of the times, a handful of the times, I wasn't the highest price, uh, but my terms were very strong. And the way, you know, you train your agent and you guys work together to present your offer as the best one, uh, sometimes will win over an extra, you know, uh, monetary value. Mm. Um and so you just kind of build up um, kind of like a, a little army. It, it really does take a village. Um, <laughs> but there are investors that, you know, use a lot of marketing strategies as well. Um, for example, you may have seen those bandit signs up on telephone poles in some areas. Um, and I used to do that when I first started. And I actually bought my first property doing that marketing strategy. Mm. Uh, but now it became a little bit oversaturated in my opinion. And, um, you know, that was kind of more targeted to, I would say, the low to medium kind of niche. And so once I went into the higher end niche of real estate, I'm kind of in this pocket between, um, say, 1 million and 5 million. And so it's kind of below the five to 20 to 80 million, like high, high end developers. And right. it's in the medium. So it's not as populated, um, I find, and it's not as competitive, but I just find that when you zone in on like a particular niche, you just get that much better at it. And I feel very, very um, confident in that kind of pocket. Um, so I'm able to kind of get a better handle of like what what I need to do to remodel the house to raise its value. Um, and you'll find that, like I said, my, my pocket is between like Studio City and Woodland Hills. So I'm very, very familiar with the price points, what I can get price per square foot, mm. what the value of the home is dependent on, whether it has a pool or a view, how much value that adds. Um, and I'm able to then make those decisions when I'm remodeling the home, um, how I can push that value up and get the most out of it. 
So when you actually have the home, what is your process like to go about the design of the actual like rehab? Obviously I'm more excited about like the outcome of it. I know there's more <laughs> than just the design part. Cause it's, you only work from like the skeleton that yeah. I just learned. So that's pretty crazy. But like, mm-hmm. what is that process for you? Like when you get the property and you see like the pictures, obviously, do you like already have an idea in your mind or do you go through a certain process of how you get to that final, like look of the, the final property? I find that a lot of it is dependent on, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm limited with my creativity, but I do take into account and a huge, huge uh, factor of that is where the house is located and mm. what my comps are. So for example, if I'm in Studio City, you know, okay, do I want more of a contemporary feel for the home? Like what are my comps? What am I up against? What's selling quickly in this area? You know, there's a lot of artists, writers, uh, actors, actresses, YouTube stars that live in that little pocket, a lot more creative. So I know I can't do something that's cookie cutter and, and, and like everything else. You know, in Sherman Oaks, it's more kind of like family oriented. So they're really big on the farmhouses, you know, a lot of uh, textures on the wall. And that's kind of the vibe Um, Mm -hmm. up in Brentwood. I have a house right now. And in that particular pocket in the neighborhood, there's not one farmhouse. They're all clean lines, contemporary straight lines, more, more on the modern side. So that initially is my factor of like, okay, here are my comps. This is what I can sell the property for. This is what's selling in this area. Then what I do is once it's kind of gutted, I get a visual to be like, okay, if, if these lines remind me of more mid-century or these lines are a little bit more um, transitional or contemporary, then I, I stick to that kind of vibe. I won't change it. Do you know what I mean? So I kind of like try to see what the bones of the house is. Um, and then I maximize, you know, either the ceiling height to vault it, or I'll open up more windows to expose a view or, you know, um, once I got the house, then I get a better idea. And I, I normally work with the architect to design the floor plan. And again, this is based on comps for me. So it's like, okay, do my comparables of this house have four bedrooms? Do they have five bedrooms? What do they have that, you know, I need to have in this house. And then from there, it's like, okay, the master is on this side of the house right now, but the other side has a view. So I'm going to then create a floor plan where the master bedroom, you know, is either overlooking the backyard or I kind of work Mm. with him to redesign it. And I think one of the good things is, um, I work a lot with my agent there to be like, for example, the other day I had to decide whether to demo a fireplace or not. And I, cause it was in the way of some foundation work. And so uh, my, I had to ask my agent, okay, if we're selling this house for 2.1 million, do I need a fireplace? Is it like absolutely imperative that it has a fireplace? And he was mm-hmm. like, no, it doesn't. You don't need one in this area. It's like, okay, cool. That was an easy decision. But I always check with them because at the end of the day, you know, I'm after selling the house for a particular price and pocket. So I need to make sure that my house um, has all those amenities and features and sizzle features. And that it's the absolutely best possible house I can make it. And, you know, I kind of feel like being um, a female in this business has that little advantage. um, Right. 
you know, sometimes uh, I wasn't as hands-on with the floor plan and there's been a few houses where it's backfired. For example, the engineer, I had three bathrooms in one particular property and the engineer didn't um, add a bathtub to any of them. And (laughs) so then all of a sudden, there goes my entire buyer pool of anybody that has a young child or a newborn because there's no bath to like for the kids to take. And so I've learned the hard way now. And so through, again, through the objections that I've gotten or closet sizes were too small or not enough closet, I, I now remember these things moving on in each project. And I remember to kind of like put those in, you know, put those features in and incorporate them because that's what buyers uh, are expecting and that's what they want in this uh, particular area. Oh, gotcha. It's, it's, it's really cool hearing that insight. Cause you're almost like, it's kind of like marketing in a sense, you know, knowing who your audience is and based on the area it is in and then learning all the objections yep. specific to the location and going from there and just u- using your skill set and intuition as a creative to create something beautiful Um, in addition to those things. You're absolutely right. And this um, particular property that I'm working on now, um, you know, we have to take into consideration that this year, a lot has changed. And now a lot of people are working from home. And so I incorporate these things, I will incorporate, you know, specific um, things for an office, for example, um, you know, USB extra USB plugs or, or floor mm. outlets or like TV, UV or, you know, speakers and things like that, because most, and, and when I stage it before I go to sell it, I'll stage that as a particular office or mm. more people are now uh, working out from home. So I'm going to perhaps maybe one of the rooms, this particular house has five bedrooms. I'll, you know, put mirrors on one side and, you know, a yoga mat and a whatever and make it like, okay, look, now you've got all your amenities here. So it is kind of like a marketing standpoint. You are, you're kind of um, creating a space that the potential buyers become uh, they have an emotional connection to and that they can visualize themselves entertaining and living in this particular space. Yeah, I love that. Wow, that's so cool. Like hearing that insight and even like understanding kind of the logistics to yeah. it all. Now, in order to do all of that, obviously you don't do everything on your own. Um, so I'm curious to know, like, what does your team look like? Like, what is the village? What does the village <laughs> consist of that you speak of um, that makes all of this possible for you? So um, I do not do any of the construction work. I pretty much project manage. So I have a full mm. construction crew that I hire as um as subcontractors. Um, So I have maybe a general contractor and then he'll sub out, you know, whether it's a roofer, a pool, a landscaper, you know, a plumber, like he'll, so him and I pretty much um, project manage everybody um, and develop their kind of schedule timeline. Um, And, and um, I have real estate agents. We have um, a title person um, and an escrow officer. They facilitate all the transactions. Uh, We have um, obviously our lenders, uh, both the institution and hard money lender, and we have private lenders. Um, We have our real estate agents, as I mentioned. 
And um, my business partner, him and I will split responsibilities. So he's kind of um, the facilitator. So he will do all the loans, escrow. He'll deal with kind of that negotiations. Mm. Um, And I kind of, and, and we have an accountant, bookkeeper and accountant. So we outsource that. So other than that, you know, I'm uh, my favorite thing is um, acquisitions, which is I will when when I'm presented an opportunity, I will spend maybe 10 minutes uh, doing a quick desktop analysis on my computer and then I'll schedule a time if it looks good to go see it with my agent and do a walkthrough. And at that particular point, I'll get an idea of, okay, how much um, construction would it take for me to put into this house? And then I'll be able from to determine, okay, now I know what I can resell the house for. Now I know what my numbers in construction are. Therefore, I reverse engineer it. And now I need to know what I can submit my offer as. Mm. So I kind of do the acquisitions process of it and decide which properties we're going to uh, write offers on and also purchase. And then I turn it over to my business partner who then will do the process of purchasing it. And then I will run the construction side of it and uh, do all the design. I'll pick out all the materials. I'll coordinate all the trades, make sure they're showing up on time and we're on a schedule. And then I will turn it back to my business partner who will then work with the agent on listing it and um, going back through escrow and all that kind of stuff. Wow, that's a very impressive system. (laughs) I can only imagine like, how awesome it is to have that now versus like when you first started out where it was probably just like you and your partner, you know, and then building, being able to build those relationships with people that you trust to kind of keep this thing flowing. And I always hear like horror stories with like contractors. So I'm sure you have good relationships with the ones in your pocket. Yeah. Well, I've been there. Um, I've been there when we, when we scaled, um, I think in 2017 to 18, um, I, we had purchased uh, 15 properties and wow. we scaled so quickly from seven the year before that it was a difficult lesson to learn. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get to, to talking about those details, but I Go had to dive in, you know, I was underprepared. And, and again, this is one of the things where I was just so goal oriented and wanted to, you know, okay, that was easy. Let me go. And, you know, maybe I should have just added a few more, but to double (laughs) that number, I was very, very ambitious. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it didn't work out that well. Um, I, we took a hard, hard hit. And the reason for that is, not only uh, contractors were a big part of that. Uh, I didn't have the right teams in place. So personally, myself and my business partner, I'm comfortable handling at this point, probably about three to four projects at a time, if they're Mm -hmm. in different stages. Um, You know, during the middle of uh, construction is when a lot of the materials need to be selected. And so if you've got four projects that need all of that at once, I mean, it's, it's an overwhelming amount of work. Um, And then because you're spending time doing that, I didn't have the time to go to each job site every other day. And so we were hiring new contractors. Um, I wasn't there to check on them to make sure that they were doing the work. So for example, if I didn't go to a property for three days, and the contractor told me he was there, I would show up three days later just to realize nothing had been done. 
And so when I was used to doing construction projects in eight to 12 weeks, they were now taking five to eight months. And so because we're using hard money loans, um, they can close quickly, but as you know, the interest rates on those vary between eight and 12%. And so if you're not moving that property quickly, then all of a sudden, you know, at the particular price point, I purchase houses for, let's say a million dollars, you're looking at an $8,000 loan payment. Mm -hmm. And so now if a property doesn't take you, you know, three to four months, now you're holding it for eight, that's, you know, tens of thousands of dollars just on one. Um, And so we became over leveraged the the construction the contractors were well we we didn't screen them well um and they didn't have just the right qualifications so their quality wasn't good enough so we'd have them redo it things just took Mm. a lot longer um and you know at that point when you're um not flipping a house in the projected timeline say for example it took us a year from start to finish the market can shift so much in that year And all of a sudden where you think you could sell a house, um, I think we did one in West Hollywood where we had anticipated it to sell for 2.6 to 2.7. Over a year later, that value went down to 2.3. And all of a sudden that, you know, profit margin just got swept away, eaten away because of the time. And so that happened to us because of just, it was an overwhelming amount of work and they just weren't getting done and the contractors were a nightmare. Um, So it was a hard lesson to learn. Um, And, you know, we got out of it. Um, It took a long time to recover. Um, And now we're like, okay, we need, we had to re-strategize and go back to what was working before and prepare better to scale. And now, you know, we have our sweet spot, which is four properties maximum at a time um, (laughs) in different kind of, you know, uh, stages. We've added more contractors that we've had the time to interview, to check their work, to have references. Um, And that's, you know, that's made us stronger and better. And uh, I'm happy to say that our general contractor um, has been working with us for eight years. Um, and oh, nice. he started also with three employees at the time. And now he's got, I think, um, his last count was 18 full time. Yeah. So together we scaled him in his construction. Like started from the bottom. Now you're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's been fun to see, uh, you know, not only is our business grown over the years, but also the people that we work with and, and it's just become a fun environment that, um, you know, it's, um, it's your tribe, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I mean, how do you even, what does like your daily routine look like? What does a typical day look like for you? It sounds like so much goes into, um, working in your business. So I'm curious to know what that looks like. Yes. Majority. Well, you know, it's, uh, I feel like I'm not alone in saying that, uh, coming back from the holidays has been very difficult. (laughs) It always is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's always easier for me to kind of keep going and slow down a little bit than just stop, um, Mm -hmm. to get, to get that momentum going. It takes a a little bit of time, but, um, I am 
you know, I'm an early riser. I love waking up at five, 6 a.m. Um, I love to get my workout done first thing. So I do, you know, I write out my goals. I meditate. I do all that. I spend about an hour in the morning just to kind of like get in my own headspace and take care of me. Um, working out for me is important. It just keeps my brain uh sharp I feel and I feel just mentally stronger when I'm physically stronger and in shape um and then after that I will start what like I always like to spend time reading and stuff so I I tend to start working around 8 to 9 a.m and that depends at times depending on where the projects are at I I tend to be on site about three times a week um Mm at my job sites and I try to, you know, double it up. So if I've got an appointment at one, um, then I'll, I'll have kind of, I'll spend a few hours there. And then if I need to go that same day, I'll plan to be out of the office. Um, but it really, really is flexible. My schedule, I don't have like a set set one because it really depends at what stage, um, of construction I'm at. So for example, these next couple of weeks, um, I'm out a lot of the office and, and, and it's my favorite part because I get to go out and pick out all my tile and stone and <laughs> look at all the showroom fixtures and get inspired. And this is what I love to do. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at at this particular project. But I like to work from home a lot because I have less distractions. Um, so as far as all my contracted documents or all my timelines or schedules or emails, like I like to be in my office to do that. And you know, um, I don't know what it's like, but there's something about contractors where I, I call it my job description instead of project managing. It's uh, it's babysitting. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I can literally not just send one email to vendors or contractors. I literally need to be like borderline annoying, you know, oh, wow. like I have to call them like three times a day to remind them or to make sure that this is happening tomorrow. Like it's unbelievable. It blows my mind sometimes. Like it doesn't surprise me when someone's like, oh my God, they forgot this. It's it's like, I don't even bat an eye. It's like not <laughs> surprising at all. You know, so you got to kind of at this point, I know to, um, to stay on top of it and assume that they will forget. So I always send out an extra confirmation. Okay. See you tomorrow at this time, or, Hey, make sure you pick up this, or I've just kind of, you got to be on a lot. And uh, that that becomes mentally exhausting. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, there are some days when I've got a deadline to do, if something needs to be done, I'll work to seven, 8 PM. Um, But I like to be done around four or five so I can then just enjoy uh, some, uh, you know, life before going back to sleep. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And just kind of turn my brain off, whether that's uh, just hanging out with friends or relaxing or just doing something that just uh, completely turns my brain off because um, there's a lot, there's a lot, my wheels are always kind of turning, I find, um, and I think that's my personality as well, though. So <laughs> I think I just always, I'm always just like in my head thinking and like, okay, this needs to be done. Don't forget this. Like it's. Yeah. Especially as a project manager, even when I manage our like branding clients, it is, I know exactly what you're talking about and you have to manage all the little pieces and babysit mm-hmm. in a sense and make sure little 
things aren't missing and you're like in your head, like, oh shit, like, yeah, this is, needs to be done in a couple of days. So I need to make yes. sure like this is done today. And like, it's like a constant, like oh wheel in your head going. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, maybe I could do this better. Or, oh, like, you know, so random. Sometimes like I'm in the yeah. shower and I'm like, oh my God, this is what I want to do for the backsplash. And I, it's something so <laughs> crazy, but I'll like, just get an idea. And it's like, yeah, it, it's difficult. Like that process for me is so hard because sometimes I see it in my head, but I don't actually have not seen like the actual material or the product. You know what I mean? So I have like no yeah. idea how it's going to turn out, but for some reason it makes sense in my head. And so <laughs> I'm like fingers crossed sometimes, you know, I'm yeah. like, oh God, I hope this turns out how I visualize it in my mind. Um, but, <laughs> you know, every now and then it's a, it's a big fat miss and I need to like redo it. It's, it's happened like twice where I'm like, oh my God, I should paint this post this color. And then I hated it. I was like, oh, okay, that was bad. <laughs> hey, you don't know until you try it. And that's just yeah. all part of the, the creative process. And then you'll know moving forward, like, all right, I know not to do that one again. <laughs> and I love, you know, I love doing research um, uh, to stay like what's on Instagram. And I, I see like, designers and what are they doing like what are the trends you know um because I think that that's an important part of my my job is I'm I'm mm-hmm. delivering this product so I need to have something that's not just so trendy that this kitchen's going to be out of date in a year you know it needs to yeah. be somewhat have like longevity like five to ten years um so I can't do something so personal and bold to my taste I need to do something that's kind of neutral and appeals to the masses um so that's something that I do need to keep in mind when when choosing uh the designs well your skills and your expertise and experience got you on HGTV's flipping 101 which is so awesome (laughs) um and I saw in the the the, the form that you sent to me that you're filming into the, uh, the second season, which is so cool. Um, yeah. So how did you even get on the show? And obviously congrats on first getting on it and going into another season. Um, what's that like? Share, share all the goods. Thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's really, really exciting. Um, I think from coming from a dance background, you know, I've done some TV video work and and performing before. So to be able to add an element of that into my real estate business, it's, it's very, very exciting. I mean, we're performers at heart. So, Mm -hmm. you know, whenever there's a camera on, it's like, okay, let's go. You know, you want drama, (laughs) watch this. Um, It's, it's exciting. And um, I think the dynamic is, is fun. Um, Initially, we were somebody contacted us a couple of years ago. We had a producer that did a pilot uh, for my business partner and I to have our own show. And, you know, he was pitching it to different networks and everything. And, you know, it kind of went stagnant, like nothing developed from it. And so I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. And then so he um, was hired as a producer for, uh, the first season of flipping 101. And so when they were looking for, um, to hire, um, some 
you know, talent for the show, they were, he, he kept us in mind. And so they kind of reached out to us and were like, Hey, would you be interested? And at that particular time we were just starting a project. So it just, the timing worked out well. Um, and you know, they, they film, um, probably about 10 to 15 times from start to finish. So they'll come at different stages of the project from the initial walkthrough, um, and the premise of the show is that Tarek is kind of like helping us out and, and helping us make a decision to make the most, um, profit on, on the mm. deal. And so, you know, they love to create some drama, of course, to make it interesting <laughs> and entertaining. Um, and so we just had so much fun filming. Um, and my business partner is also from, uh, he's done movies and TV shows. And so we just feel very natural around, uh, around the camera. And, you know, one of the things I think that is drawn and why, why they asked us to be on the next season is I think even though our job at times, or jo I say job, but the line of work we're in can be so serious um, you know, there's, you're dealing with a lot of stress and high, high numbers and high risks and, you know, all this stuff that's in investing, it's, it's very, very stressful. Um, and when you first start, you, you feel those a lot more. Do you know what I mean? Like, for example, mm -hmm. um, my second property that we, 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 uh, flipped, was sitting on the market for like 52 days and each day mm. that went past, like granted, maybe the average was around 50, but each day you'll just like start doubting. Like, what if no one likes it? What if this doesn't sell? Like there's, you ride all these new experiences so hard. Do you know what I mean? And now it's like you become, I would say a bit more desensitized to it and a bit more logical to be like, okay, it's priced good. This is where it is. And you let it go, you know? Um, and so I feel like the more that we've, we, the more experience we've gained, the more fun we have with, with our line of work. So for us, the interactions with each other, with the contractors, with, you know, the process of flipping a home has become playful and, and joyful. And I feel like mm. that transcends uh, on camera and we just kind of have like a fun, uh, fun vibe to it because uh, we enjoy it. And so I feel like that's uh, why they asked us to be back. So it's very, very exciting. We're very, very happy to be back. <laughs> that's so cool. Is it just like, um, do they come and go to uh, multiple of your properties or it's just like just one of them and then you're like in one episode or like how does that work yes yeah, so generally um we will be in one episode and they follow one particular house from start to finish mm. so they will follow and and you know they kind of like guide and then it's like on uh, sometimes they'll be like um okay you know how much is this costing or, oh, this was a change order. Oh my gosh. Like, where is this money coming from? Or if there's issues with the perm, they'll create kind of um, scenarios, but they're based on real actual things. You know what I yeah. mean? Like um, in this particular house that they're following, something happened with uh, a delay happened with the Mulholland corridor where it just takes a lot longer now this year with the pandemic. And um, they would intentionally be like, oh my gosh, like now it's just sitting here. No one can work. Like now you're spending 10,000 a month. Like the, they'll hype it up. 
Um, right. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's not fabricated. Like these are actually going on, you know, but um, yeah. So they, they follow, yeah, one particular project from start, all your decisions throughout issues, how you overcame it until the house is sold. Um, and so then they're able to show the viewer um, exact numbers, you know what I mean? Based on mm -hmm. okay, what you bought it for. This is what your construction costs were. This is what you sold it for. So um, it's, it's kind of helps. Uh, I think it kind of is a good educational program as well for people that are looking to get into it. You know what I mean? Because uh, yeah. once again, they're not making up these scenarios. They enhance the drama. However, these are real life issues and real life uh, concerns and, and dramas that happen um, in this field of, in this line of work. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard different stories from people that actually get on shows and how some of it, you know, is made up. And then of course, like they have to make up some drama, but I would imagine like the something like this where you're flipping a house um that a lot of the issues that do arise are actually real issues but of course you know they yes. gotta hype it up even more to create that yeah that interesting kind of and, part and working with Tarek is is so fun um he actually you know he, I've known him mainly as a tv personality but uh getting to work with him a little bit more often I realized that he just has a machine of a real estate business and uh the amount of properties he buys uh, on a monthly basis and just has people run it, it is, is crazy. I had no idea. So he's really, really like he's been in this business for so long and, and his knowledge and even just when the camera's not rolling, his little gems and, and you just learn so much from it. So I really, really appreciate that. And, um, you know, he's always been very, very complimentary to me, um, which is so, um, um such a blessing I guess yeah um, when with design wise and everything he's just always like he actually joked last time he's like uh just so you know I'm stealing that <laughs> and then he's like oh and can you just send me uh your website and stuff so I can just take a look at all your stuff and steal it so um that's hilarious that's a huge huge compliment that um I'm like okay but let me let's air this episode first because I want it right? to show like it's my idea <laughs> <laughs> for real <laughs> try to sideswipe you and your ideas <laughs> it's like so, slow it down hold on <laughs> yeah so so it's a it's a very very fun process I, I really enjoy it and hopefully one day you know can have my own uh yeah so you know, do something with that because um yeah I I love entertainment and I love filming this and to combine that with something that I actually love to do I feel like it's uh it's entertaining and educational you know at the mm -hmm. same time so I feel like a lot of people and I think that's why I kind of do a lot of behind the scenes on my Instagram um partly for to gain um insight because I am needing to sell something that appeases the masses um, at times when I ask the audience for a poll like which one do you like better um, I like to hear that outside perspective and see okay uh, uh, is my audience leaning towards one in particular um, because then maybe if, if even if it's not something that I initially if I was leaning for example to the other side 
but then I'm like, okay, wow, if, if, if most people are liking this, then I need to assume that, okay, whoever my buyer pool is, that they're going to feel the same, you know, if it's 50, 50, then I'm like, okay, they're both good choices, you know, right. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fine. I can go with whatever. But uh, I think the other day I had something where it was like 90% and then 10%. I'm like, okay, wow. Like most people, um, like this one better, this choice better. So I need to then reevaluate my decision and be like, okay, wow, this is what, you know, majority of people are going to be drawn to and like, so. <laughs> well, that's so awesome, girl. I'm so happy for you. And I really hope that you get a show because I could totally see that happening for you. So we're going to go ahead and just put that in the universe. Yeah. Patricia's going to get her own show on HGTV. It's going to happen. You heard it here first on the Gang Star Creative <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> um, as we're coming to an end, uh, is there any last bits of parting advice that you'd give to the Gang Star Creative listener that's listening right now that wants to follow your footsteps? One of the biggest things is Oh, and again, I, I hate to be cliche. It's like, uh, it's like, I hate people that just like spit out quotes, you know what I mean? To be like inspiring <laughs> and stuff, because I think you need to find what it is within yourself that is going to drive you to get to where you want, whether some people call it a why, or some people call it, you know, a some sort of drive or fire or passion within you. I think if you get really clear on where you want to go, then don't let anything stop you. Don't let, you know, um, and, and I mean, and I say this humbly, but, you know, I've lost a lot in this business as well. And granted, most of my times have been wins. The, the hits have been hard. So I'm not going to say it's all rainbows and butterflies. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. To where it's like, and, and anyone else, that may have been too hard for them to then pick themselves back up and keep going forward. But I just have this resilience and I feel like you need to find that within yourself. And whether it's to find something with what you're good at or what you love or try something that you've always thought you wanted to do, but haven't just done it because of what people are saying or anything like that. And then just kind of put blinders on and just move because that's, what's going to get you through the tough times. When you have that vision and that desire, then the hard times they'll be difficult to get through but you'll pick yourself up and you'll keep going. And that's what I've done in both uh, dance and and now real estate. I just, I have a clear vision of where I want to go and I have the right people around me that support me, that I have fun with, that I enjoy what I do. It's not someone that's like stressful naysayers, you know, competitors that are not genuinely happy for you. And uh, you just find your right team and you just, just keep moving forward. That's what I, that's the advice. That's the biggest thing for me. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. Um, is there, is there anything that we can expect from you to see from you? Any big projects? Obviously we just 
shared that you're going to be in the next season of flipping one-on-one um is, do you have an air date for that are there other um, things that I the listeners could look forward to i don't have an air date yet i am anticipating it to be done uh to air in march or april um oh, but cool. once we actually sell that house um i'm anticipating the construction to be done in march but just follow me on social media i've got two big projects going on right now um and they are starting that they kind of still look a little rough so it's like rough framing up but uh, I'll be closing up some walls in one of them and uh, they're both anticipated to be done in by March so um, all the fun stuff will start going in now Um, and yeah I'm I'm really excited I like to post I I should do this a little bit more but I love to post before and afters because um, sometimes people forget and it's like I just look at that and I'm like wow like to see like a vision and to, to see what, what the house used to look like and just how it's restored. Um, I know a lot of my audience loves to see that. And so I will promise to spend a little bit more time to create those albums, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I just, I I will post on my social media as soon as an air date is confirmed. But again, it, it all depends on when the house actually sells for, because I like to use accurate, um, accurate figures and everything on that. So gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, awesome. So everybody listening, make sure you follow her. I'll have all the links in um, the show notes to the episode, Patricia, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I had so much fun um, having you on the show and I'm excited to see what comes for you in the future. Thank you so much. And I am always such a fan. I follow all your work and um, I'm really excited for you guys to do that big move. So I will definitely be following. Awesome girl. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review, letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and five ways to boost your online sales PDF. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.